0: to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who understands the importance of keeping grounded while making a difference. We're talking with Rebecca Ruda about mental health and urban farming. Rebecca is a wife, mother, mental health therapist, and urban farmer. When not endlessly pulling bindweed from her strawberry patch, she enjoys hiking in the nearby mountains with her family. She is currently working on her first novel. How cool is that? As an Mm -hmm. Urban Farm podcast listener... We have invited her to share her story. Welcome to the show today, Rebecca. Are you ready to rock?
1: I'm so ready. Thanks, Greg.
0: Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah. So I've been a mental health therapist for about five years, and we are currently in our first home. We've been living here for two years. And after, you know, many years of renting while I go through grad school and all of that, it was um, so exciting to finally have our own place and be able to do things like plant trees. And um, so I wanted to hit the ground running as soon as we got our house. And we live on a quarter acre, kind of outside of Salt Lake City in Utah, so we're zone 7A. And it's kind of interesting growing conditions here. It's very alkaline soils, very low rainfall, pretty hot summers, not quite as hot as you guys there in Phoenix, I don't think, but so there's been a lot of challenges, but just this past spring we converted our front yard lawn to, you know, perennials, pollinator plants and an orchard and we've got an annual garden as well. So I'm, nice. you know, yeah, we're new to this, but it's been a lot of fun. And I have two little girls also. They're three and six, so. Wow,
0: cool. So what's it like urban farming with small children?
1: <laughs> it's mostly so much fun. My kids love harvesting, as all children do, of course, strawberries, and, you know, they love to harvest berries the most. And it's so funny because, you know, if I chop up vegetables and give them a salad inside. It's not super likely that they're going to eat it. Similarly, if I cook vegetables, but if we're out in the yard, they will eat things that they will eat pretty bitter greens and like it.
0: <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing how that happens?
1: Oh, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. They'll eat things like thistle and mallow and, you know, they, they love the weeds too. It's a lot of fun. Although I did have a time with my six-year-old this spring when we were spending so much time out in the yard every day and we weren't doing our normal family things like going hiking and I think she was feeling pretty neglected and she (laughs) we were driving somewhere and she began to berate me pretty intensely for all the time I spend in the yard and she was basically like (laughs) She was like, "All you want to do is just grow fruit trees, so you can just eat all the fruit." As though <laughs> it's like selfish to want to grow fruit trees, but it was definitely just coming out of like wanting to get back to our normal routine, yeah. in which I wasn't busy every moment. So, you know, she calmed down from that one.
0: Oh, there okay. you go. So, tell <laughs> me about your urban farm. What's it look like? What's your property? If I was walk, walking up the driveway or walking up the street, what would I see?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, still very much in process right now. But as you walk up to the property, we're just a little brick house on a quarter acre, and we're on a suburban street. You know, everybody's got lawns, of course, mm-hmm. nice. so not super green right now because we're in a very, very intense drought, as many places are. But you walk up to my front yard, everything's got a nice deep wood chip mulch, and nice. it's- full of pollinator plants in the front yard. I've got gosh, you know, a lot of lavender, Russian sage, desert four o'clock, coneflower, fire chalice.
0: A lot of pollinators. Um,
1: milkweed. Yeah, all that stuff, and that's kind of what you first see. I have a <laughs> random spot that I'm solarizing in the front yard, so there's a big tarp there too, which is not the most aesthetic, but that's temporary. It's
0: part of
1: the process. It's part of the process. And then, you know, starting in the front of my yard on the side of my house, if that makes sense, as you look back, that entire area is planted with small fruit trees that I'm using summer pruning to keep small. I've still got a lot more I need to plant, but at this point I've got pear, apple, cherry, gosh, serviceberry, elderberry, hazelnuts, Wow. You know, most of the stuff you can grow where I live.
0: <laughs> I love that you've moved it to your front yard. You know, put it right up front where people can see it. And uh, have you started or have you thought about starting doing tours yet?
1: Well, I'm definitely not there yet because since all the perennials are babies, they're not that big yet. You know how they say first year sleep, second year creep, third year leap. Yep. So they're still small. So it looks, it still looks fairly brown <laughs> because everything hasn't filled in yet, uh-huh. but it's definitely all part of my master plan. I'm definitely gardening in the front yard intentionally in the hopes that other neighbors and random people will see what I'm doing and take an interest and want to do the same. And for that reason, I am focusing on the aesthetics more than maybe some permaculture people do sometimes Uh because yeah it's all part of my master plan to convert everyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah of course
1: to doing the same oh and I can't forget too that I do have I I guess it's not really a swale because it's not on contour but I do have a dry stream bed going from my downspout out to about 10 feet from my house and then going Kind of parallel to my house across the property.
0: Nice. And I've got a
1: berm there that's planted with strawberries and chives, which, you know, was one of my mistakes was planting on a berm <laughs> well, in the desert. Yeah. But.
0: That's how we it's learn. still alive. <laughs> so. That's how we learn.
1: Yeah, I was a struggle keeping those strawberries alive when I first planted them. So to all all the listeners, you know, if you're in the desert, don't plant on a berm. (laughs) And behind the berm from that up into my house, I've got annuals there as well. So I have, you know, borage and bok choy and butternut squash and some stuff like that. So I do have some vegetables in my front yard as well but kind of the pollinator plants take front and center in the front yard, again, as part of my master plan to make wow. everyone want to imitate me.
0: Nice. And did you happen to name your farm?
1: Yes. It took a lot of deliberation, but I've named it the Home in Wonderland Forest Farm. Nice.
0: <laughs> and for, for those listeners out there that don't know the story behind naming your farm, it's really important. Why did you name your farm?
1: Well, I named my farm because of your podcast, Craig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why we talk about that?
1: I don't know. Go ahead. Say what you want to say about it.
0: So the reason I encourage people to name their farms is because it builds a presence for them out in the world. You know, here in Phoenix, people know the urban farm. Right. And, you know, at one of our tours, there was Jack's Beanstalk and two fat cats, apartment, garden, and, (laughs) and right. So what just happened? You laughed. So there was a a giggle there. Plus then when you introduce yourself from the urban farm or from your farm, you know, it, it engages people. It gets people's curiosity going. So it's a, a way to engage people and get them to mimic what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. At some point I'm going to get, you know, have like wood carving in, make a
0: little sign but nice you know nice I painted it I painted it on the curb oh there you go that's a good one too right right so this is a really curious time that you've decided to come on the podcast with what you do in mental health and there is a lot going on in the world around the environment and I know for me it it impacts me yeah you know when I'm sitting every day and I'm looking at fires that we can't put out and a drought that people aren't necessarily paying attention to and then mm-hmm. in other parts of the world you know people are getting flooded beyond belief and there's a lot of climate stuff going on and yep. i have a tendency to take some of that on i you know it's yeah i i've heard it called climate grief before how do we manage mm-hmm. for that
1: and it's such a delicate balance right because there's an automatic tendency i think people have to kind of either just shut off from it, Uh (laughs) you know, I'm not going to look at it. I've done it. I mean, I very rarely do I listen to the news, right? Because I've got to keep my crap together for my clients and my children who I have my primary responsibility to, right? But so there's a tendency to do that or then, you know, (laughs) what it can be is, you know, no, 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 don't hear it. Don't hear it. Don't hear it. And then going into a spiral of clicking yeah links on google and you know kind of sometimes we really go if when we start to let ourselves look at it and absorb what's happening we can actually go into terror you know real intense fear sometimes panic or sometimes what what's the most insidious i think is this hopelessness yeah. like well, I'm just going to throw my hands up because there's nothing I can do. And I'm so small and it doesn't make a difference, and all of that. So, the first <sighs> part I want to say I right. know I, I hear that breath. big sigh, right? Yeah. Yes, because it's tough. And both of those approaches, you know, spiraling into the fear about it or just ignoring it and pretending it doesn't, isn't happening, neither of those really give us what we want. And what I think most of us want is to feel that we're being an effective agent of change and that we're living lives that are in line with our integrity and in line with what we believe. So the first thing I would say is that there is very solid research, and I'm sure you just know this intuitively from your own experience, Greg, that people who take action towards the, you know, to do what they can within their sphere of influence for the problems in the world tend to feel more hopeful just based on that as compared to people who, you know, throw their hands up, right? (laughs) Which granted, none of us are going to be taking action on every issue that matters to us all the time, or even at all in our lives, because we've got a limited amount of time and energy on this planet (laughs) and a limited sphere in which to enact our change. And yet we really have no way of knowing how large our influence can potentially be until we get going with
0: it. Yeah. Well, and I have, I have to say that that is a big driver for me. Mm -hmm. If I just stood back and didn't do anything, the despair that I would feel would, would definitely be overwhelming. So one of my big drivers, in fact, my answer to the question that I ask, why do I do what I do is for your kids. For my niece and mm-hmm. nephew, I don't have kids, but for your kids, for all of our listeners' kids out there, for my niece and nephew, I do it because I want to see how much change I can bring about for them. Yeah, and that's what keeps me on the sane side of this. Yeah. I say hesitantly,
1: <laughs> meaning the same side as me. Is that what you mean? Or no, what do you sane? Mean? Oh, sane. Yes, sane like not side. insane. Yes,
0: yes. With with the amount that I see, I've been I've been studying this stuff for. 40 plus years yeah, and I see what's coming and it's not necessarily, I hold out hope, but it's not necessarily a good picture. Yeah. So,
1: yes, absolutely. And I absolutely agree. I think for most people who are engaged in, you know, trying to change our global food supply, like mm-hmm. you are, I think our kids or, you know, the future generations is a big motivating factor Mm -hmm. and I know it is for me that's that's kind of how I got (laughs) definitely how I got involved in this to begin with a few years ago I was feeling a lot of guilt that I didn't want to be more involved in politics and you know that sort of thing because it all seemed so important but I found it so draining and depressing And, you know, I wanted to be making a difference in the world, but I even, like, wrote a little poem about it. You know, I wrote something like, all I want is to plant lots of trees, (laughs) you know? And I didn't know at that time that that was a way of being an activist, and that was a way of really making a difference that matters. And so it was really actually spring of last year that... (laughs) Seeing that everything was shut down and I was working from home and couldn't go anywhere or do anything, like probably almost everyone who's listening here, I instead decided to go down a rabbit hole of learning and gaining information and learning about the impact on human health and and the environment of industrial agriculture.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, by the way... You know, here in Utah, the very week that everything first shut down in March, we had a 5.7 earthquake.
0: Whoa.
1: And um, it's not, that's not, it's not a super large earthquake, but it's large enough to be scary. And, you know, people had uh, their stuff fall off the wall and their dishes break. I didn't, fortunately. But, and that was followed by weeks of aftershocks, some of which were pretty big too. And so it was kind of everything at once, right? right. <laughs> and really feeling like my mortality and fragility of the life that I treasure so much. And, and then I just started learning about industrial agriculture and where we are headed as a you know, global society based on those impacts. And, you know, I will tell you the truth. I was, get, I was really scared at that time. I was not in a very good place in that moment. You know, I noticed I was having heart palpitations
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was thinking like, and this is me as a therapist. Okay. So I think it's kind of funny that I was fooled by it, even though I see this all the time. But I was thinking, well, gosh, I guess I should go to the doctor. But then, like, what if I get COVID when I go to the doctor, you know? And then I quickly realized it was like, oh, every time I read the news, that's when it happens. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, you know, you can – I'm sure you've had the experience, and I think so many of us have, that in those moments when everything feels really out of control, (laughs) people tend to be very right for – insights and viewing things in a different way, so that we can get through it. (laughs) And that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I wouldn't say that I had like some kind of big epiphany in one moment. But rather, there was kind of almost a gradual epiphany, almost like clouds thinning. you know, where you don't know quite when it happened. But somewhere along the way, I started to become more at peace with the reality of the situation, which is that the level of control that I have in this world is not that much. Right. <laughs> and so <sighs> that's kind of what I, I know. <laughs> it's like a big sigh with that because yeah. it can feel a little depressing at first glance. But I think it when we explore it a little bit more, there's actually a lot of peace that can be found there. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to talk about. But, you know, since my job, of course, is to try to help people to, you know, live more fulfilling lives and happier lives, you know, it's also my job to try to explain it as best as I can.
0: So you've already suggested two things. Stop watching the news. (laughs) I avoid that as much as I can. And figure out something that you can do to go out and make a difference in the world and share with people. So that's two things. You got anything else?
1: Yes, I definitely do. So one piece that I want to give comes from the work of a really wonderful teacher named Byron Katie. She's really more of a spiritual teacher. She's not mm-hmm. uh, a psychologist. Have you heard of her before? Oh, yes. <laughs> Good. Well, I want to share a little bit about her work for your listeners because they may not all be familiar with her.
0: Yep.
1: So the piece you know, there's so much to her work, but the piece that I think may be most relevant to us, you know, people out there trying to change the world, as well as just us gardeners who are, you know, hoping to get a harvest before the pests eat it all, you know, especially probably many of your listeners are organic gardeners, and I definitely am. So, you know, we have to leave a little bit more to nature in that sense. And so the piece I want to talk about with Firing Katie is what she calls the three types of business. So I'm going to explain that principle. So the first type of business, if I'm looking at the businesses for myself, the first type of business would be my business. Now, here's where people get caught on this. Okay. My business is the things that I can influence or control. Full stop.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) So
1: if it, inf- if it affects me, but I don't have influence or control over it, it's not my business.
0: Say that again.
1: So even if it affects me, if I can't control it, it's not my business.
0: Got it. All
1: right. That's the biggest piece that people get tripped up on. Okay. So the second type of business is other people's business. Things other people can influence or control that I can't. Right. right. <laughs> Only you can influence or control whether or not you weed your food forest.
2: Right? Yep.
1: That's <laughs> so none of my business. Or for that matter, what you know, how you choose to manage pests, right? And I know you're an organic gardener, but say you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> right? It was since I can't control that, that's not any of my business. But it would be my business if I wanted to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Right then I'm allowed to do that. But then at the end of the day, it's going to be your business, what you end up doing.
0: All right.
1: So that's the second type. The third type of business, different people call different things. Byron Katie calls it God's business. Although by the word God, she means reality, the reality of what is happening in reality, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what's happening in our heads and our thoughts about reality, right? So God's business, meaning things that humans cannot control so weather <laughs> you know uh, right. on the one hand i can influence that i'm trying to sequester carbon in my landscape but on the other hand i don't have control over whether global warming continues or not right and also you know some of my clients i love this they instead of calling it god's business they just call it nanya
0: they call it nanya
1: yeah nanya business oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, there you go yeah so i like that too cuz that's maybe a little more conclu- inclusive, or some people call it the universe's business. Right? Yeah. So.
0: And what do we so, do with these three distinctions?
1: Yeah. So here's the big key to it is that any and just every single time, only every time that I'm outside of my own business, I will suffer.
0: You should say that again.
1: Okay. <laughs> every time. That I'm in someone else's business, whether another person's business or Nanya's business, I will suffer just every time. And one of the biggest ways that we suffer when we're outside of our own business is anxiety, because what is more anxiety producing than trying to control something, desperately trying to control something that we can't control? You know, that's just a recipe for frustration and anxiety And our bodies, become physiologically aroused, we sweat, our hearts pound, because we're trying so hard. But we're never going to achieve that goal. <laughs> we're never going to have control over the things we don't have control, control over. Yeah. So that's pretty much the the big thing. And you know, so when it comes to desertification, for example,
2: uh-huh.
1: right? You know, that's the big one along with global warming, of course, that's impacting our local weather patterns and drought and you know all of that making conditions ripe for wildfires as you know i mean so when it comes to desertification you know okay what is my business when it comes to that well <laughs> it's my wow. business to work on harvesting rainwater which i haven't gotten there yet cuz mm-hmm. i'm still new to my house but when i do i know i'll go to your resources and learn more about that it's my business to use gray water. It's my business to use as little paving as possible on my property. All of these things, that's my business. Weather and to nurture my own soils, of course, right? That's yes. a big one. Yeah. And provide the right conditions for our little microbe friends and fungi and so forth that live there. But beyond that, none of it's my business. You know, and I can I can try to talk to people about it and so forth. But beyond that, there's, that's it. That's what is my business. And so desertification is going to, you know, it affects me, right? Mm-hmm. It might affect my children. So again, that's that distinction. Distinction. Although global warming or desertification and all these things, you know, the toxic load in our environment, et cetera, although all of that affects me beyond the amount that I control, it isn't any of my business.
0: Wow. And
1: so... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. I'll let you respond because I'm just
1: going on and on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No. Well, I'm listening, and that is some powerful words that you shared. Because you're right. We get so caught up in other people's business, or you know, as Byron Katie calls it, God's business, that we have no access to make any difference with. Yep. But for whatever reason, in our head, we think we can, and then it just starts this craziness in our brain.
1: Exactly. And, you know, another thing, this is getting maybe a bit deep, but another thing I would encourage people to look at for, you know, listeners who are, be- who become distressed about the state of the world at times. That's me. Like we've talked about, it's me too. Yep.
2: You know,
1: is to also look at what are the payoffs for me of being distressed about this,
2: mm.
1: which sounds really silly because, of course, on the one hand, it's, Completely valid and completely makes sense to become distressed about it. Yep. You know, it's like, well, this is the state of the world, but it's not what I want. Dang it. You <laughs> know, you can't see me, but I'm waving my fists like a tantruming child, right? Yeah. It's not the way I want it to be, but it's the way that it is. <laughs> and, you know, what Byron Katie also encourages is for us to look at our thoughts and question them and question what our experience would be without a particular thought that's causing us suffering. So, you know, let's say just a prediction of what's going to happen to the world because of global warming and Mm -hmm. to humans. So, you know, I'd ask myself, do I know for sure that that's true? And of course,
0: go ahead. And the truth of that in this moment is we don't know if that's truth. Yeah. That's, that's part of what keeps me on the sane side of this, mission that I'm on. And that Mm -hmm. is that I really only know what's true right this moment, right now, right now, right now, right now. I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes or five years or 50 years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, well, right now I do have clean water. (laughs) My children do have nutritious food from the garden to eat. And we don't know For sure. So I'm not saying global warming is not real. Of course, that's not what I'm saying at all. Right. But, you know, not only can we not know for sure what's going to happen, but we also don't know for sure that what we think is bad is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So that's the big one. Right. Like, I mean, even just taking it down to gardening. Okay, so let's say all my strawberries get plowed down by aphids. Mm hmm do I know for sure that that's a bad thing? And of course the answer would be no. In fact, maybe it's going to bring in ladybugs.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> ladybugs exactly. are good. So kind of the central idea that, again, is kind of hard to convey and I don't expect, and I hope no, nobody listening, please don't expect yourself to just like pick up on this and have it really make sense to you right off the bat. This is more about planting seeds for ourselves. But planting this seed of this idea that reality is OK, reality is good, and it's our thoughts and our judgments about it that are the cause of our suffering. Oh, and that's a testable, yes. It's a testable hypothesis, you know? And, and this is again, this is Byron Katie's idea. I didn't come up with this. That's what's nice about being a therapist. I don't have to come up with stuff on my own. I can
2: just borrow other (laughs)
1: people's stuff. It's great. So we can test it. And the way we test it is to question the thought. What happens when I believe the thought and what happens without the thought? Then how do I feel?
0: (laughs) So this requires us to get really conscious about what we're thinking. Yes. So we need to be paying attention to those thoughts, like consciously.
2: Yes.
1: And it's funny because, you know, most of us, most of the time, whatever thoughts pop into our mind, we, and I do this too, you know, it's just like, okay, well, that's the voice of God, basically, you know, (laughs) that's it. That's what I think. Therefore, it's reality and it's representative of who I am. And it's true with a capital T. And first of all, that sets us up for a lot of guilt because all of us have very bizarre thoughts every day that don't align with our morals
2: right.
1: <laughs> and that's just part of being human we can't control what pops up in our brain yeah. but so yeah we have to start to notice what pops up and we don't shame or guilt ourselves about what pops up because we have no control over it but we can question it and the more and more we question it the more we have the experience of okay when I believe this thought I'm miserable and when I don't believe it I'm fine Right? <laughs> the more we experience that, the more we start to realize oh, reality is okay. It's me with the problem
0: over here. <laughs> right. So let's transition back to growing food and urban farming and how this all fits in.
1: Well, I think it definitely, let me put in one more little point with that too, which I think definitely all of it fits in with urban farming for sure is just the point of asking myself, what is the payoff for me of being distressed about the state of the world? Mm. And I think that because I I somehow got sidetracked from that, we were going there, and then we got off of that. And I think there could be a lot of different answers for that. But for me, one that I've found time and time again, is that somehow I think that I'm doing something by being where I'm showing that I'm a good person because I affirm that this is unacceptable to me, right? Like the impacts of industrial agriculture, let's say, or the desertification of global warming, et cetera, et cetera. It's like almost thinking, well, I need to be upset to show that I'm a good person in a way, or Mm -hmm. even to prove to myself that I'm a good person. Right. So, you know, that's a good one to look at too, because ultimately then what we're doing is kind of just, not being willing to accept the reality of the situation, right? And and that doesn't make us more able to act. It very often makes us less able to act.
0: It <sighs> takes us out of the game, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: because we're in our heads and we're upset and, and so forth. So yeah, anyways, we can come back to more specifically with the with gardening now. Did you have a certain question you wanted me to ask? Well, that? I
0: think that just the sanity, I know the sanity that being in my garden and pulling weeds and growing food brings. And I think that there's wow. there's some value in that, is there not?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I know you've even had guests on this podcast talking about how the soil microbes improve our mental health mm-hmm. and So, you know, they're probably way more knowledgeable to speak about it than I am, but that's definitely there for one thing. And for another thing, you know, we've been talking about on a global scale, all of this stuff, but it just applies so much on a micro scale to dealing with the ups and downs of our own gardens, right? because not everything we plant survives. Not all the seeds we sow germinate. Many things get eaten, at least in my garden. <laughs> Lots of things get eaten, not by me. Sometimes and
0: sometimes <laughs> we plant a fruit tree and it doesn't make it.
1: Correct. I've got a tree dying right now.
0: Yep. And me too. <laughs> me too. I've, you know, it happens.
1: It does happen. And so it's so nice to them be able to question, you know, is is it true that this is a bad thing? <laughs> Do I really know that? Right. You yeah. know? And to give ourselves permission to actually just enjoy the ride, right? A ride, by definition, like let's say a roller coaster, has ups and downs. Otherwise, it's not even a ride. (laughs) Otherwise, what are you doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: right. So we're going to have ups and downs in our garden. And gosh, my, my first year, so just a year ago in the garden, I was like completely bonkers about Flipping out every time something got eaten or, you know, when pests were starting to get out of control. Because I had a a major earwig problem last year. Most of my my annual garden got eaten Mm. a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I just was so not chill about it. I was not having fun. I was being a very uptight gardener. (laughs) And it's just so nice to realize, like, we're allowed to enjoy the ups and downs, you know, that's allowed. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, and for new gardeners out there, often your first year or two with your garden is traumatic like that (laughs) because things aren't, you know, things aren't moving toward balance yet.
1: But it's quite a journey. It
0: is quite a journey. That is for sure. And thank you so much for sharing what you've been sharing. I've been dealing with climate grief Yeah. and trying to, you know, kind of wrap my head around what's happening yeah. And, and where everything's going. And and you've given me some tools that I'm going to use. These have been helpful. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I, I hope that some of the listeners find it helpful. It, it all sounds so, so simple, but applying it uh, <laughs> is another matter. And it's also has such a dramatic impact. It seems like, yeah. oh, it's too simple to really help, but that's just not the case.
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you would have learned from it.
1: Yeah, I actually, <laughs> preparing for this interview, I was like, gosh, how am I going to choose
0: out of <laughs> right? all
1: the failures I've yeah. had in my garden in the last two years? It's Not even quite two years. I think the biggest failure that I've had is that I did too much too quick.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. I,
1: I think that's very common. You know, I spent the whole last winter just planning like crazy and just obsessing about the garden and permaculture and all of this. And then when spring came, I absolutely bit off more than I could chew Mm. after promising my husband I wouldn't require his help and I was going to do it myself. And then he totally had to rescue me because I was in way over my head with sheet mulching the front yard, planting Dozens of perennials planting some 15 trees and it was a lot of work. So yeah.
0: And they didn't all make it and that's okay.
1: They did not all make it. No, but I learned that taking it slower is wise. (laughs) I also learned to be appreciative of my husband for bailing me out instead of just getting defensive about it. (laughs)
2: Mm.
1: I know this is annoying, but thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't
0: that, isn't that great that you can acknowledge that?
1: <laughs> uh, it's better than the alternative, which is causing tension, right?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what do you consider your biggest success?
1: My biggest success in life was marrying my husband. Oh, I, w- I wanted nice. to say my children, but I can't claim success for that, that they're their own people. you know. But right. marrying my husband, that was on my own volition. I think it was a very good call.
0: Nice. Always love to hear that. And what drives you?
1: Well, kind of like we talked about earlier in the interview, Greg, I'm definitely driven by the possibilities for regeneration. And when we learn about how nature has the capacity to regenerate through the microbes and fungi, fungi actually like cleaning up toxins in the environment and these kinds of things, I think that although we as a human species have gotten in way over our heads, I still have tremendous hope for our possibility to turn this ship around and the ability of the planet to regenerate. So that's what drives me. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Well, Janice said I could recommend three. (laughs) All right. Cool. Cool. I know normally you're a stickler about that, but haha. So my first favorite book recommendation is *The Overstory* by Richard Powers.
0: Tell me about that.
1: It's a novel, but it the Lorax in the the book, the Lorax speaks for the trees. Well, *The Overstory*, you know Richard Powers really lets the trees speak for themselves, and. That's what one of the reviewers said. I didn't make up those words, but I think it's very fitting. And oh my gosh, it's just a book that will blow you away about trees and nature. And and it's a very helpful book too. So yeah, that's a huge recommendation.
0: The Overstory by Richard Powers. Yeah, he, He's I... the winner of the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for fiction on that book. Wow. Yep. So this is exactly the reason that I... Ask this question so that I get more books to read.
1: <laughs> All right, that's number one. Okay, now let's see. So, number two is the book Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Mm-hmm. That's a good starter or like introduction to her work if people, you know, are interested and want to learn more about her work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the third one I just wanted to include for fun for people with children in their lives, and it's a picture book about microbes. <laughs> and oh. it's
2: called
1: yeah it's just a really fun it's called the good microbe hotel meet your body's marvelous microbes wow. and that's by Kim Sung Kwa and Quan Su Jin and it's just a phenomenal little picture book my kids love it
0: <laughs> nice well thanks for those
1: yeah you're so welcome
0: and what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners
1: my final piece of advice is to mind let us mind our own business <laughs> as we are out there oh, yes. pulling weeds and doing our doing our job.
0: Yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow. Well, this whole conversation, interestingly enough, I, I didn't see it coming. So you reached out to me on Facebook and thanked me for the work I was doing on the podcast and I, you know, found you on Facebook and saw what you were up to and was like, oh man, I want to hear your story. But little <laughs> did I know that it was going to be a counseling session on climate grief for Greg. So thank you so much.
1: <laughs> oh, you're so welcome, Greg. I, I hope that it will be helpful and I know it has been to me. So yeah.
0: Yeah.